me trying to put a nail gun into my uh, finger last week. Yeah. How is your finger, by the way? My finger is actually, it's about, I'm going to say 85% recovered. You could restore it all. Welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, and with me as always is Prasanna Maliande. Say hi, Prasanna. Hi, Prasanna. I knew you were going to say that. Just a quick reminder, although Prasanna and I both work at Druva, this is not an official Druva podcast, and the opinions that you hear are ours and not Druva's. So with that, let's get started. Prasanna, I wanted to do a couple of podcasts about tape. What's tape? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is tape? We work at a company where tape isn't really talked about very much. And, and I think tape gets a bad rap. You know, so many people have exposure to tape in so many other areas of their lives. They think of cassette tapes, VHSs, beta. Yeah, VHS. Yeah. And VHS, VHS, I think also is a bad comparison to backup tape. And I, I, I saw a lot of people comparing backup tapes to VHS and when Data Domain first started, they would do a lot of comparisons to VHS and TiVo. They would say TiVo is the new way to go, and that was more representative of them. And so they just really slam tape. And, and I'm not a tape slammer, but I'm definitely one who has lived both the really bad and a short period of, re- of really good with tape and then a new phase of bad. So I just wanted to talk about that. How it was like in the good old days, right? Yeah, Back in, in the, the good day. old days. So, <laughs> well, first, I'll talk about when it was the bad old days. I cut my teeth on nine-track tape, which for, for those of you who don't know what that is, anytime you see any old computer movies and you see those giant big reel-to-reel tapes, those were nine-track tapes. I think they had a speed of like 150 bits per second or something. It, it was really really slow and they didn't hold very much capacity and then the other tapes that i that i originally started working with were called a uh, quick 80 they were it was qic pronounced quick the 80 represented 80 megabytes of data and they were not quick i don't remember what their speed was but they were very slow the problem back then was head misalignment the quick cartridges were the native tape drives in AT&T's 3b2s these were the first computers designed specifically for Linux. I'm old. I won't say that. You said that. Yeah, that's all right. If you took a cartridge from one 3B2 and put it in another 3B2, it might not work, even though it was the same tape drive, because the, the heads would get misaligned. That's like awesome security if you think about it. You don't have to worry about anyone stealing <laughs> your tape drive and getting your data. Yeah, but but it's also like a really scary situation. I mean, it was just a mess, right? I, I agree. It was. It's kind of a security feature, a really sad one. But yeah, it was a little bit of security. And then there was Exabyte 8200. So that, that was the first of the, at least the first that I remember. The Exabyte 8200 was an 8 millimeter cartridge. And this was what, if you remember the um, video cameras, the, the video cameras started out as VHS. And then there was a brief period where they had the eight millimeter cassettes. Yep. I remember there's eight millimeter and VHSC. So before VHSC, the, the mechanics in the tape drives I was using to back up my data center 
where the exact same mechanics made on the exact same assembly line is all of those home video recorders. Do you have these tapes in your house by chance? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I think I have an 8mm video camera somewhere. Anyway, going back to the topic. So what were the benefits of this 8mm tape? Well, first off, we solved the head misalignment problem. So you didn't have this worry that if you move the tape from one drive to another drive, you, you never had that problem. And that's because there was this tracking stripe along the bottom of the tape. And for those of you that are familiar with it, the, the Exabyte and then the AIT tape that came after it and the DDS drives, they were all helical scan drives, which meant that the data was written in diagonal stripes on the tape as opposed to LTO and the nine track tapes and other tape drives, which are linear tapes, which write the data in sequential stripes just down the length of the tape. But anyway, it would write this data to the tape in a speed that was slower than the network. Now that sounds bad, but we'll get to why that was good. The, the network at the time was 10 megabit shared ethernet. So think about that, not switched. So 10 megabit is really about one megabyte and you're sharing that one megabyte and you have tons of, of collisions. And so you don't really get one megabyte, you get something less than that. But the beautiful thing was that the tape drives, their speed was like 126 kilobytes per second. So it was a fraction of the bandwidth that was potentially available to it. And it was the bottleneck. And so you never had a situation where a backup was slower than the device. You might not realize how important that is until we get to the latter part of the discussion, but that was sort of the heyday of tape. You had the the Exabyte 8200, which grew up to the, eventually you got to the 8505 and they got, they got faster and bigger, but by faster, I mean, I think they got up to like a half a megabyte a second or something like that. <laughs> Uh, which was probably the, plenty fast enough back yeah, then. It, it was, right? And the, the the DDS tape drives, which a lot of people call DAT drives, just like the 8 millimeter cassettes were also used in consumer video cameras, there was a brief period of something called DAT drives, which was digital audio tape. And that, at one point, was the cutting edge of audio recording technology because it was a digital recording. It was the, it might've been the first consumer grade digital recording device. And it were these little four millimeter high DAT drives. But the data center version of that was called DDS, which was digital data storage. Uh, and so a lot of people called the DDS drives DAT drives and they weren't really, but they were the same mechanics underneath. The one thing about those that I hated was that I felt they were very wimpy. I have somewhat of butterfingers as evidenced by me trying to put a nail gun into my uh, finger last week. Yeah, how is your finger, by the way? My finger is actually, it's about, I'm going to say 85% recovered from driving a two-inch brad into the middle of my index finger. Yeah, that's me. So I would occasionally drop a DDS tape. And I will tell you that if you dropped a DDS tape from a height of me down to the floor, and it was a tile floor, that the cover of it would shatter into... 50 pieces. I actually got pretty good at actually reassembling. I was I was actually going to ask, did you have to go like pull the tape out and then get a spare cartridge and feed the tape back through? No, 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 it wasn't. It was just the little door. There was this little door that would swing open. Yeah, the door that would swing open in order to give access to the tape. It was the door that would shatter. And I got actually necessity is the mother of invention. If you got a really important tape that you just dropped 
and that's the tape that you need, you do what you got to do, right? And I got pretty good at, at reassembling those tapes, can you, if you can imagine that. When I think about modern day people and the things that they do for backups, and I just laugh at the stuff that we did back in the day. But the point was that that was kind of the heyday because the backup device matched the speed or was slower than the speed of the backup. That is really important. The tape itself was the bottleneck. So right around the same time as the Exabyte 8500s and the DDS 1 and 2 and 3 and so on, there was a brand of tape drives called TK70, which were generally available other systems, like we've, we had them in our Ultrix systems, uh, another <laughs> Unix from days gone by. Ultrix was digital, Digital Equipment Corporation, aka DEC, for those that Remember those guys? And TK70, if you looked at it with today's eyes, you would see a TK70 tape and you would think it was an LTO tape. It was the exact same form factor, but it was similar speed and technology to the Xbyte 8200s and all those guys. Then one day, LTO showed up on the scene. Linear tape open is what LTO stood. Have you ever like worked with an LTO tape? I don't think I have actually. I think I'm of that generation who avoided tape, luckily. Yeah, you grew up at that company that, that had that marketing slogan, tape sucks, move on. Yes. Yeah, you were, you were at that company. We know who they were uh, and are. So what happened was LTO came out. And I remember when I saw my first LTO drive and I was like, oh, it's a TK70 drive. And they said, no, it's not. It's nothing like it. It's, you know, it's way faster and bigger and so on and so on. But what we thought of as the new phase of tape in terms of its new life very quickly became the downfall of tape. And the reason was that very quickly LTO drives became faster than the network. And just as importantly, they became faster than the backups that were being created to be sent to them. But that wouldn't be a problem, though, if you if, could pump enough data to them, correct? Well, the whole point is that back in the day, a backup went to a drive, a tape drive, and the backup would be going two megabytes per second or could go two megabytes per second, but the tape drive could only go 200K per second. And so everything was beautiful, other than the fact that you're like, well, gee, we need the tape to go faster. It would be nice if the tape went faster. But now move forward to the world where the backup is still two megabytes per second, but the tape drive is going 10 megabytes per second. That's not good. That's not good. So we began to have, and I don't know exactly when that transpired, but it, it started happening about 15 to 20 years ago. And so what happened is you start to have this tape speed mismatch. So you've got a backup that's running at literally a megabyte or two megabytes per second is an incremental backup is not very fast because it's it's just sending you the files that it finds as it finds them. And so it's actually pretty slow. And you'd send this tape drive and the tape drive can't write that speed. I was going to ask though, why couldn't tape drives just go slower? It's a little thing called signal to noise ratio. So there's a great guy that I want to have on as a guest on our podcast who knows way like he's like one of the, the tape god actually designing these things and the uh, what's what, what do they call it on stranger things the upside down the upside down. he was he was in the upside down designing tape drives there's this thing called signal to noise ratio and there's this weird this is like recording physics 101 that if you want to have a good signal noise ratio because that low signal to noise ratio means you lose data 
So if you mm -hmm. want a good signal to noise ratio, you need the recording head to go quickly across the recording medium. So the way to do that is that the tape, in the case of LTO, for example, the tape is running along at like 15 feet per second. So first it has to spin up to 15 feet per second, and that takes a second or so. And then it looks at the buffer and it finds whatever the size of the buffer is, and it dumps that out to tape. Then it looks back to the buffer and the buffer's empty because the backup is slower than the, than the ability to write to tape. So the tape stops, it rewinds, and it repositions, and then it waits for the buffer to be full again, and then it spins up to speed, and then it writes out the contents of the buffer, and then it turns and looks at the buffer, and the buffer's empty again. It's just not, it can't go slower, because if it went slower, you would have a low signal-to-noise ratio, and you would lose data. No, that makes sense. It has to go fast, and so they're, they're like each generation of LTO, and, I, and I've spent you know 15 years preaching this, each generation of LTO had its own minimum transfer rate. I, the one that's sticking in my mind was 23 megabytes per second. That was one of the LTO, like LTO 2 or 3 or 4. I don't remember exactly what. The minimum transfer speed was 23 megabytes per second. There isn't an incremental backup in the world that is 23 megabytes per second. So then what did people do? The first thing is people just didn't know this was going on. <laughs> they were causing what we call shoe shining, which is what I just described, where the tape would speed up, write data, stop, go backwards, go back, and the tape goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so it's shining the head with the tape. And what it does is it wears out the head, it wears out the tape, and it actually results in the tape and the head becoming less reliable. And where it wears out, everything wears out, and you end up with unreliable tapes. So now we're back to unreliable tapes. We had unreliable tapes. And then we had reliable tapes, and now we're back to unreliable tapes. And this is the world that Data Domain and its competitors entered, was it was unreliable again. Can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. Why did people keep wanting to build faster and faster tape drive set? That's a great question. <laughs> it was the market force. And well, first off, very few people understood what I'm describing to you right now. I built an entire career over explaining this to people over and over and over, and I would explain them, and they wouldn't believe me, and I would redesign their backup system so that the tape drives were being used the way they were meant to be used, and their backups would suddenly start screaming with performance, and their backup tapes were suddenly reliable, and they were like, oh, I get it now, right? <laughs> so most people just didn't know this was happening. The other thing was, I need more tape. I can't handle a tape drive that's only 50 gigabytes. I need a 100 gigabyte tape. Then I need a 500 gigabyte tape. Then I need a terabyte tape, right? I, we're up to like a terabyte and a half, I think, on an LTO tape. And in order to fit more data on the tape, they put the bits closer together on a linear tape. And by putting the bits closer together on a medium that's going along at 15 feet per second, you make the tape drive faster as a matter of course. There are use cases where you can use that speed, right? Large transfers, right? I think of like the media and entertainment industry. Last week, we had the, the, the that great podcast with Jeff. 
and you know that type of stuff where you're transferring many terabytes of data from A to B. Never underestimate the bandwidth of a truck, right? <laughs> that, if, if you can feed that speed, it's a really great, really fast and reliable way to transfer a significant amount of data. The problem is for every full backup that might be able to stream the tape, there are typically six or 29, depending on how you do your backups, incremental backups, that won't stream the tape. And so I was just going to say, so basically your trade-offs are if you want to use tape, do full backups. All the time. If you're time. ever thinking about doing incrementals, <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah. But if you're ever thinking about doing incrementals, you might want to reconsider tape. That Obviously that logic wouldn't work. And so backup vendors responded with one of two things. First vendor, I think, that, that gets credit for responding to this would be IBM with TSM. They were the first backup software company I remember that came up with the idea of disk caching, where you would back up to disk and then you would copy from the disk to tape. And now, and because you're doing disk to disk to tape. So it's kind of like a temporary landing spot. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And at the time, we thought they were crazy because at the time, these were SCSI and fiber channel disk drives, not SATA disk drives. Remember, there was a time that you, you couldn't get cheap SATA drives in the data center. So they were backing up to expensive drives. And so at the time, we thought, well, they're, you know, they're crazy. The other way that backup vendors responded was multiplexing. Where you have multiple backup streams coming in and then you... So this is the likes of NetBackup, NetWorker, Commvault, you know, all of the main guys that were doing tape-based backup, except for IBM, did multiplexing. And so the idea was... Let's take four two megabyte a second backups and put them together, interleave them on a block by block basis, generating a 10 megabyte per second stream. And there, now we've made an LTO one tape drive happy. Beautiful. Well, then we got LTO two and three and four. <laughs> and suddenly we were increasing the number. I remember the last time I, I fired it in anger, uh, I think we put 36 streams simultaneously to a single backup tape because it was the only way to generate enough data to make that tape drive happy. The problem with that, so it made the backups good. The problem with that is now when we go to do restores, I'm going to read 36 backups and I'm going to throw 35 of them away. Oof. So my restore speed is still <laughs> like one or two megabytes per second because I have no choice. That's the way all these backups worked was they would read all the data and then throw it away. Which seems very wasteful, you know? Yeah, it's, it was very wasteful and very bad for restores. And again, this is the world that Data Domain and its competitors joined. You, on one hand, there were people that had no idea what was going on in the upside down. And so they didn't know why their tapes were unreliable. And then there were people that were figuring out and using multiplexing and and they couldn't figure out why their restores were so slow, why their backups were, were great, but their restores were so slow. So in, in the end, it basically isn't a perfect solution, no matter which way you look at it. With the disk staging folks, that was probably the best of the bad, but you still, when you went to restore from that tape and you were restoring it at, at an unmultiplexed backup that was still better than the multiplex backup, but now you still have the fact that you know a, a RAID five array has a write penalty when you're restoring to it, and so it can only go so fast. And by the way, one of the things I didn't mention was 
you would actually get into a situation where a tape can write, like earlier I mentioned 23 megabytes per second. If you could, if you, if th with that tape drive, if you could generate a backup or a restore that ran at 23 megabytes per second, everything was beautiful. But if you couldn't and you were giving it, let's say five megabytes per second, it can't do five megabytes per second. It could do short bursts of five megabytes per second coupled with longer bursts of repositioning the tape. And so because of that, it would spend more time repositioning than it would spend writing data. And so because it can't write five megabytes per second, guess what it would do? It would actually write at like two megabytes per second. And so the tape that's way faster than your backup would actually slow down your backup because it can't keep up with your slow backup speed. I mean, it was just, hmm. this, this was just happening all over. Each of these different things was happening. And and I know this because I would go in and I would fix it. Well, and that's what I was wondering is how many people actually understood this? <laughs> very few people, uh, you know, in my experience, very few people understood it because I just kept doing this. I just kept doing the same thing over and over and over again in, in backup environments. And you know, and I'll tell one story, and then we'll we'll end this this part of the podcast. I think of a of a large entertainment company that I went into, and they were using eighteen. They were the storage tech, whatever came before the storage tech T ten thousand drives. They were like ninety eight sixties or something. Anyway, they had like eighteen of those that were running. 24 by seven, and they were backing up a 10 terabyte data center. They were running backups 24 by seven. They were backing up basically 28 hours a day. They weren't finishing their backup. They were using 18 tape drives, which had way more throughput capacity than they could possibly use. And they weren't backing up all 10 terabytes. Guess what their solution was before I got there? Add more tape drives. Yes, out. they were going to buy more <laughs> tape drives. And I went in there and, and the tape drive, these, the, the sun drives back in the day, those were really expensive. They were like $30,000 or something. And I said, look, why don't you not buy the drives and give me that money instead? And I will guarantee you that I will make your backups better. And I will also guarantee you that buying the drives will not. And they didn't believe me. And so what we did was the very first thing we did was out of the 16 tape drives they were running, I think six of them were the newer version of the drives. The, so we shut off all of the older drives. We turned on just the new drives. We changed their multiplexing setting so that backups went only to those drives. And we created enough streams to make those drives happy. We also... In net backup speak, we started using all local drives as the backup setup, which meant that instead of specifying individual file systems, I wanted them to back up all local drives and exclude anything they knew was garbage. And then we also turned on what was called inline tape copy, which would take a single backup stream and send it to two tape drives. So technically, backups were running in such a way that I was actually only using three tape drives right because i was uh twinning the drive so it was like it was like three raid one <laughs> pairs of drives right so you were actually keeping more copies of the data but it actually ended up yes. being better put all those things together because i turned on all local drives we discovered 10 new terabytes of data in their data center they were missing half of their data center in their oh backups that's the first thing that happened the next thing that happened was backups finished in eight hours instead of 28 hours. They had two copies instead of one copy. If you put all that math together, the, the backup system was something like 10 times more efficient than it was before I got there, simply by designing the backup system in such a way that using the technology the way that it's meant to be used. 
which is interesting because I know we had this conversation last week as or two weeks ago as well, where we were talking about um, how even when you go towards new technology like cloud, it's still important to architect properly. You still need to design and architect your system for what problems you're looking to solve. You can't avoid that. Agreed, right? The uh, I think just that the era of tape in terms of tape as the primary backup mechanism, which I do believe is now over, right? I think tape has a lot of uses for long-term archive and things like that. Maybe that's what we should talk about in the next podcast. The era of tape as its prime, as a primary backup medium is over. And the reason is that although you can kind of design for tapes limitations in the backup system, a, it's really complex, and there's no way to do so that you don't negatively impact things like restores. I think tape's a lot more reliable than people give it credit for if, and this is a big if, if the backup system is properly designed. But if the backup system isn't properly designed, the tape ends up being slower than you think it is, slower, definitely slower than it's advertised, slower than even the backup that you're trying to send it. And as a result of all that shoe shining, the tape becomes more unreliable. Well, and this is a crazy thing is everything that you've just mm -hmm. talked about, it's something I would never have thought. And if you're someone new going into an environment which has tape, it's how do you understand that these are the limitations? Because no one ever really talks about these. No, I'd say the closest that you would get would be some stuff inside documentation of your favorite backup product. But very quickly, what, what happened was we had products like Data Domain that would, that would say, just stop using tape and we'll we'll fix all your problems by going to going to dedupe disk. And I don't I'm not slamming them. I'm just saying that, that's another reason why people didn't learn this because the you know the places where they would find that information it, it didn't have it so long and short of it is there's a, hopefully a little bit of illumination on the way tape actually works and why it started out kind of reliable got unreliable and then basically it was just it's just confusing you need understanding of the guts and what's happening inside a tape drive to use it properly and and they don't teach that anywhere definitely not in any cs degree so that is what ultimately unseated it as the king of backup so anyway on that depressing note we're gonna end this podcast so thanks persona for coming along on this meet the old days walk down memory walk down lane memory lane of backup tape and with that thank you to all our listeners and make sure to click subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and you can restore it all there was a file but i deleted it to pay your backup system isn't worth a spade Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit.
once it'll be completely done. Maybe one day. It'll 